0: Thank you, Celia, and good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, hopefully, you've got a Bible with you, or you've got a phone with you, that you can look up that passage. It's well worth having that in front of you as we uh, look at uh, just five verses from 1 Corinthians 9 together. And they are five verses that um, I think act as a somewhat of a strategy document for the vision that we set together last night. If you were here last night, as Josh said just before, you remember we set two vision goals uh, for the year ahead. Uh, And we set them in the context of uh, what life has been like for us as a church in in recent times, our context of both growth and disruption, Uh, welcoming new people, starting new things together, uh, amalgamating COVID, you name it, that's been the context that we've been in. And what we want to do with this year is make the most of that disruption uh, by resetting our hearts and our commitment as a church on our core business as a church. Two things, Uh, As Josh said just before, prioritising gathering, uh, making the commitment of uh, being here every week for one another and being here intentionally, uh, being here to encourage one another, being here to open God's word together, being here to speak that word into one another's lives. Uh, But this morning I want to think about the second priority that we've set for the year and that is prioritising welcoming, Uh, being a church that prioritises connecting people in our community with the Lord Jesus. Uh, giving them opportunities to hear about the difference he makes. Uh, And I'm going to pray as we look at this passage that I think will help us with that priority. So please do pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can call you our Father, and we can call you that because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the welcome we ourselves have received from you. We thank you that it is sure because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus. And so as those who know this work, And enjoy the freedom that it brings Uh, we pray that you would help us to use our freedom uh, to connect others to the lord jesus as well in his name we pray amen so 1 corinthians 9 and we're looking at just verses 19 Uh, to 23 together. There will be a number of the verses that will come up on the screen, but it's worth having that in front of you if you've got a Bible or a phone that you can look it up on. And as I said, these are, if you like, a a strategy document for how we could go about uh, this priority uh, together. Five verses that show us the Apostle Paul's approach to sharing Jesus in the context of an unbelieving world and all the unbelieving cities that he visited. And as we read his example, we're reading it not just out of interest's sake, Uh, Or just to gather information, but uh, the Apostle Paul will say in the scriptures, uh, imitate me. And he calls us to do that because he's imitating Christ. And so the pattern that we'll see in these verses is a pattern that we should follow because it is the pattern of our Saviour. Two things really he shows us in this passage at its simplest. uh, As he thinks about how he reaches people with the news of the Lord Jesus, he shows us who he is and then what he does. And so let's look firstly at who he is uh, Paul says to reach an unbelieving world you first need to know who you are as a Christian and so have a look at verse 19 with me uh, Paul's faith in the Lord Jesus has changed his life forever he, he knows that and if you read uh, uh, the book of Acts you see that dramatic moment as his life was turned around from persecuting Christians to uh, being one who uh, a Christian himself and being somebody who sought uh, to share the news of the Lord Jesus with others and how he describes that experience is is, well this way you see there in verse 19 I am free and I belong to no person and I want to say as we gather here this morning as God's people each one of us uh, if you have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Uh, you are a free person utterly free in fact I'd suggest to you that you are the freest person on this planet uh, when it comes to the things of eternity you are free from uh, the consequences of your own sin even that uh, which will yet to come today Uh, you're free from the consequences in terms of the coming judgment uh, on that sin. You're free from what Paul will say elsewhere, needing anyone or anything in this world to complete you. You're free from that. How free? Well, listen, earlier in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, the Apostle Paul will describe uh, our freedom like this. Because you belong to Jesus, all is yours. The world, life, death, the present, the future. All is yours. None of those things are a threat to us. None of those things are, are, are able to overcome us because we belong to Christ. We're free. Christian, you are completely free. That's what the Apostle Paul says of himself and it's true of us. But what's remarkable, if you look at our passage, have a look at verse 21. Paul says, I am completely free, but I'm not without law. In other words, what he's saying is I'm not directionless in life. I'm not free like a a sort of balloon that's been let go and sort of whizzes through the air with no control or no direction. No, he's the opposite of that. He is completely guided by a law. Paul's life is controlled, in fact, by the most powerful force this world has ever and will ever see. In verse 21, he calls that force Christ's law. That's what guides me, Christ's law. And it is, uh, if you read through the book of Uh, It's the law of love. That's what compels him. In in his second letter to the Corinthians, uh, he'll say this. uh, This law, Christ's law, the law of love, um, compels him. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.14, the picture of him is a bit like, I don't know whether you've ever been um, ten-pin bowling, and sometimes when you're not so good at it, uh, they put up the bumpers on the side of uh, the aisle to make sure it doesn't go into the gutter. Well, that's what's happened to you as a Christian. You are a bumper bowler. Uh, but what you're compelled by, what you're hemmed in by is the most wonderful thing. Christ's love for you. That's the, the borders, the boundary of your life. The, in the Old Testament, we're told the boundary lines of our lives have fallen into pleasant places. I mean, think about the boundary lines of your life. You are utterly hemmed in by Christ's love. Uh, secure in that love. But not just secure in that love, you are you're guided. That's the purpose that God has given you because of his love for you. And because of this because of this compulsion to love even though he is the freest man in Corinth or any other city he visits he expresses his freedom in the most remarkable way do you see there verse 19 even though I am free and I belong to no one I make myself a slave to everyone in this world Paul has it all his future is security he's not Worried ultimately about anything because of the Lord Jesus. He is completely free and he has complete rights because of that. He is a child of God. And yet Christ's law compels him to lay all his freedom and all his rights down in order to serve people. And the way Paul serves all is hard to miss in our passage. I wonder if you heard it or Celia read it. Uh, the way he serves people is he seeks to win them. Uh, he says it five times in case we miss it have, have a look with me verse 19 to win as many as possible verse 20 to win the jews again verse 20 to win those under the law verse 21 to win those not having the law and again verse 22 in case we've missed it to win the weak. Do you see the irony of, of paul's freedom here's, here's how it works for a christian Here's how it works for someone who has come to know the love of the lord jesus christ christian freedom is all about losing our rights to gain friends, to win friends. Uh, Which friends? Well, I wonder if you noticed it as we saw that repeat of his goal to win people. His goal is not narrow, he wants to win everyone. Uh, Jews, Greeks, the weak, the strong, you name it. He wants to win them all. And why befriend them? Because he loves them. He's compelled by love. Do you see, you see the radical nature of Christian friendship? It's unlike any friendship in this world. In fact, it's uh, upside down from normal friendship in this world. Uh, normal friendship in this world works this way. You start to get to know someone, and after a while, you may grow to love them. But it works the opposite way for the Apostle Paul. He starts with love for this person, and then he pursues friendship, as our Saviour does with us. And of those he loves, whom he wants to win as friends, what's the win for the Apostle Paul? What's the goal? I wonder, again, if you noticed it as it was being read, five times he says, I want to win them, I want to win them, I want to win them. He keeps saying it. And then he says why he wants to win them. Because I want to save them. Verse 22, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I reckon verse 22 is the vision for our church. This is our core business. This is what we're about as a church. All things to all people, so that by all possible means we might save some. Paul, compelled by Christ's love for him, looks at this world, uh, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5, with new eyes, no longer worldly eyes. He looks at it with Christ's eyes, and it means he walks around Corinth or, or Philippi or Rome, or as he would Wurunga. And he sees people whom he loves. People who are in desperate need of rescue. Rescue from what? Well, elsewhere in the scriptures, in Romans chapter 5, it makes it crystal clear what he is trying to save them from. Speaking of how Jesus saves, the Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 5. We have now been justified by his blood, Jesus' blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? And you start to see how serious the stakes are as far as Paul is concerned. Paul serves all in any way he can, by all possible means, because he knows that God's wrath is coming. And he knows that those he loves don't know about God's wrath. And he's not okay with that. Every time I read this passage, I'm reminded of, uh, I think, my favourite book uh, that I read in school, Catcher in the Rye. Uh, I don't know whether they read books in school anymore or watch movies for English, but that's another story. But um, This book is just a fantastic book. It's a weird book, but uh, essentially the, the main character, Holden Caulfield, he, he's trying to work out what his life is about and I think he goes into sort of one of those career interviews and, and they're asking him what he wants to be and, and here's what he comes up with. Anyway, I keep picturing all these little kids playing some game in this big field of rye, thousands of little kids. And nobody, I mean, nobody big except me. uh, And I'm standing on the edge of some crazy cliff and what I have to do, I have to catch everybody if they start to go over the cliff. I mean, if they're running and they don't don't look where they're going, I I have to come out from somewhere and catch them. That's what I'll do all day. I'd just be the catcher in the rye. I know it's crazy, but that's the only thing I'd really like to be. And I reckon that's the Apostle Paul here, not in a fictitious way, but in the reality of the things of eternity. Paul says, when it comes to my life, as one now hemmed in by the love Christ has shown me, even though I didn't deserve it, all I want to do all day with the freedom that I now have that no one can take from me is I want to seek to save some. Because he knows God's wrath is coming. And I think the question we need to ask ourselves as we think about this priority for for the year ahead, Am I willing to use my freedom that way? Do I really believe that God's wrath is coming? Do I really believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ that was powerful enough to save me and turn my life around, do I believe that it can save people? Or as my gospel, uh, what I know of the Lord Jesus and what I speak of the Lord Jesus, has become more tame and domesticated than that. I don't speak of the things of eternity when I speak of Jesus. I don't speak of the reality of his judgment. How easy it is for our gospel to become no more than a strategy to help people with their felt needs or problems. Truth is, wonderfully, that the gospel does speak into the detailed needs of our lives and offer comfort in the detailed needs of our lives but here's the reality even if even if the gospel of Christ crucified had no bearing on those things and it does like nothing else it does it would still be wonderfully good news because the gospel is God's power to rescue people from a sure and certain judgment that is coming And whatever help i feel i may need met by the gospel that need pales into insignificance compared to the need of a savior on that last day a day that the book of revelation in chapter 6 tells us those without a savior will beg the rocks to fall on their heads you feel the weight of that in one of his other letters the apostle paul will say in philippians as he describes that, he, he is moved to tears every time he every time he thinks about it because he loves people. Paul sees that clearly, and so must we. Because nobody else in our culture is going to take the judgment of God seriously. Ours is a culture that majors on the minors. Ours is a culture that where little things become ultimate things. Ours is a culture where the most important thing to us is our own identity. Ours is a culture satiated with stuff. Such that the certain judgment of God is lost in all that static. It's not seen, it's not known, it's not acknowledged. But Paul, who like us, is free from that judgment, not because of merit, but because of mercy, because of Jesus, is utterly gripped by the plight of those he loves. And he cannot help but go to all possible lengths to save some. He's the catcher in the rye. And he knows, as he does that, that he's not powerless in in that uh, objective because he knows the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has the very power to rescue people. And so he devotes himself to the task of winning people with that gospel. And so I simply want to say to you that that is what is behind the, the simple steps that we've we spoke about last night taking together the the three to one of uh, prioritizing welcoming three people that we could be praying for knowing the situation they're in two people that we could offer an invitation to one person that we might have that clear gospel conversation and uh, laying out the reality of eternity to them they are simple but um, uh, hugely significant steps that we could take together as we said last night think about it this way as a church of four 400 adults imagine us together praying for 1200 people that way this year praying for their eternity praying for them in light of that judgment imagine offering 800 invitations knowing that day is coming imagine having 400 gospel conversations i think that would be us using our freedom well it's exciting who are you going to pray for this year uh, who might you invite who are you going to have that conversation who are you going to go there with and out yourself as a christian with uh, let me encourage you to make that our shared project not just for a weekend in march but as we gather in our small groups to be speaking of those we're praying for to be speaking about conversations that we have to be sharing that that we might pray for one another just, as, uh, just before we finish, let, let me point finally to two things about the way Paul goes about this that I think will be really helpful for our own approach this year. Two aspects of the how uh, of Paul winning people. Here's the first, and this is the most challenging, I think, for me. He knew those he was seeking to win. As you read through verses 19 to 23, the, the impression you get is the Apostle Paul knows details about the lives of those he's seeking to win things that would offend them things uh, about the way they think that's different to others the the greeks or the jews the weak or the strong he knows they're wired up differently and their worldview is different in the same way he's committed to knowing christ and him crucified he's also committed to those for whom christ was crucified and this is how we love those we're seeking to win respecting them enough to be inquisitive, uh, to be interested in their lives, uh, to be concerned about the details of their lives, about who they are, about what they, what they think. I think it's such a helpful challenge for us, uh, such a helpful challenge for me personally when I think about my own approach to evangelism. I, I, I reckon as a minister, and this is probably a good thing, I think I know the gospel inside out. I know the truth of it. I know the joy of it and the power of it. And I love getting to know it better. I I, I love that knowledge. But what I know about those I'm seeking to win is, well, too often paper thin. It's surface stuff. It's names and addresses. But I don't know them as Paul knew the Jews. Or the Greeks, uh, customers in his tent-making store. Uh, I remember when I was at Bible college, one of the things that we had to do over the course of the the four years was to work our way through reading Calvin's Institutes, 800, or 1,800 pages of just pure joy. Um, and at the, end, at the start of each year you had to sign that over the summer you'd reach the, the sort of the marker for the next year to be allowed to do the next year. And uh, I even took Calvin's Institutes on my honeymoon, uh, it wasn't a great move. <laughs> but i remember getting to the end of uh, the fourth year part of reading this book and putting it down and thinking it's finally completed and as we think about what we're thinking about today there it was in sentence one of this huge book here's what calvin says nearly all knowledge we possess that is to say true and sound knowledge worth knowing consists of two parts the knowledge of god and the knowledge of people Now I suspect we're committed to the first and casual about the second. I suspect we think we know those around us because we just assume they're just like us. But often that knowledge is surface stuff. Uh, If we found ourselves, we were talking about our mission partners last night, if we found ourselves in a cross-cultural situation, sort of helicoptered in uh, to a a foreign land, we'd know from the outset that we'd have all sorts of knowledge to to make up. Language, food, customs, culture, worldview. We need to know all of those things. But the truth is every single one of us as a Christian is a cross-cultural missionary with just as much to learn about the culture and worldview of those around us. So we need to start asking, not just do we know the gospel, and that's an important question, but do we know those we're trying to win with that gospel? What are they like? Not just names, but what do they value in life? What makes them afraid? What gods do they worship? What questions do they have or challenges do they face? The law of Christ is clear. Love others as we would love ourselves. And let me ask you this. Which of us does not want to be known in this life? To be understood, to be listened to by others. It's the basis of genuine human relationships. Want to use your freedom to win friends? Then make it a goal to know them. And finally, here's the second way, the second part of how he does it. He serves those he seeks to win. Now, a simple 3-2-1 goal this year uh, has a focus there on, uh, in the second part of it, invitations. And there'll be lots of opportunities, as we saw on the video, even just later this month, to invite people to these guest events coming up or to invite them to uh, a Sunday gathering. But if they're going to come... We'll need to make it our goal to go and serve them. That's Paul's approach. You see, there in verse 19, he uses his freedom to make himself a servant to everyone. And consider this with me where do servants work? Where do they serve people? I mean, surely they serve in the place where those they're seeking to serve live. I mean, how do we win many? How do we save some? We serve them by doing what servants do. We, we go to where they are and we serve them there. I reckon the great temptation for us as Christians is to retreat into uh, what I think Vaughan Roberts, the English pastor, called the Christian rabbit warren. The big wide world is scary and out to get us and so we burrow down into our cosy Christian subculture. And evangelism becomes the occasional foray foray up above into the scary world and we try to persuade people who we don't really know to come down and meet with us in our world. Truth is, if we loved them, before we even consider inviting them, we would come out of the rabbit warren and into their world. Jesus' great commission to us is very clear. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples but all too often we cut straight to asking them to come. Now I suspect we find this very hard. Our lives, are all of us, geared towards comfort. And we want things to be easy where they can be, especially if we're doing something as uncomfortable as evangelism. We wanna be at least on home turf. But if following Christ is what we want to do, then there's no promise of comfort, nor indeed is the idea that that be something we aspire to. We need to be less concerned about our comfort and more concerned about the comfort of those who are seeking to win. And so we go. And as we go, let us remember the stakes. It's salvation. It's eternity. 2023, here's our strategy from 1 Corinthians 9. Though I am free and I belong to no one, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some." I remember when uh, Finn started school in the UK, um, in the in the little infant school he was a part of, they had this thing in the playground called the Buddy Bench. And the way the Buddy Bench worked was if you were new to the school and you, you have not quite made friends yet, you would just plant yourself on the Buddy Bench, and that would be a signal that someone could come and sit with you and you could become buddies uh, together. get It was a cool idea. And, uh, I want to suggest to you that that is your goal, our goal this year to live life on the buddy bench. To be looking for those that we can befriend. Because because of Christ's love, we love them. I wonder who did that for you when it comes to becoming a Christian. I was thinking about that this week and in my first few years of secondary school I was at uh, Newington over in Stanmore and I didn't know a soul there when I started at the school and I remember my two buddies that I uh, formed in those early um, early months of year seven, and I was shy, still am, but was very shy then, uh, was a guy called Philip Wilson and Ben Van Gelderen. And they were kind enough to sort of befriend me when I was sort of trying not to be noticed. And we'd spend lunchtimes together. And after a while, I didn't realise at the time, I now realise it years later, they had 1 Corinthians 9 in mind. They were both Christian guys, even in year seven. And every now and then at lunchtime, they'd say, well, we're going to read the Bible together this lunch. And I thought that was a very weird thing to do in year seven. But they were my only friends. (laughs) So that's what we did. And I reckon over the course of that year, amongst other things that the Lord brought into my path, they were instrumental in me coming to know and love the Lord Jesus. And, you know, even this week, I I looked them up, and one of them's now at... um, a principal of a theological college in in darwin and uh, the other ones are minister somewhere and i thank god for them i thank god that they they cared enough to do that not just to befriend me because that's a brilliant thing to do at school but because they had that goal in mind that deeper eternal goal 2023 is a year for us as warunga anglican to live life on the buddy bench to look for those in, in our workplaces or in our community groups or in our street or wherever we find ourselves and to befriend them, to love them with this goal of seeking their salvation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your very great love for us that in your kindness for each of us, you have brought people into our lives, whether they be family or friends or or others who have uh, shared the news of the Lord Jesus with us and that you have uh, won us that we have come to be saved through the blood of your Son. And we know because of that that we are free. Help us to use that freedom as you would call us to. Help us to, by all possible means, uh, save some. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's stand together and sing our final song, Be Thou on My Vision.